okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Hey everybody, welcome. This is the Bold and the Beautiful. We are here right now. We are getting ready to start our broadcast, and I'm Curtis Austin, and we are now on the When Christian Speak Talk Radio. We air every second Saturday of the month at 10 a.m. Won't you just tune in? Welcome to When Christians Talk Radio, Bold and the Beautiful. If it wasn't for God, I'd be weak. I wouldn't wake up from my sleep. I wouldn't have nothing to eat. I wouldn't be so unique. If it wasn't for God, I would lose it. I wouldn't live under a roof. I wouldn't be up in this booth. I wouldn't know he is the truth. If it wasn't for God, I would have been bold. The enemy would have took in my soul. But now I rise up and I surprise him at the day that he rose. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be up in these four cars on the way to my shows. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have nada. I would have been cold. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have clothes. No shoes to cover my toes. No hat to cover my head. If it wasn't for God, I would have been. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be counted out. My family down and out. I'm blessed so without a doubt. Gotta make sure I shout it out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bold and Beautiful is a talk show designed to bring the word of God to youth and young adults around the world and embolden them to live out loud for Jesus. Our vision is to see young people of the world rising up to take their rightful place as leaders and world changers. I'm a young girl spitting that gospel. Last time I saw the God, he said, I got you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they try to act like they never knew you. But the devil can't do nothing to you. Hello, here we are again, y'all. This is another Bold and Beautiful podcast. Um, I am here on my lonesome today. I don't have my co-host with me. So it's just me, Jordana Cunningham, coming to you again for another show. And I have um, a new family member, friend, brother, second favorite cousin, um, Jude, out here in these streets. You see him dancing. He's ready. He's ready today. So um, let me just give y'all real quick. I just met this beautiful young man um, at a work conference and um, apparently he's never met a stranger. Um, so it seems like after the first hellos and introductions, we was kind of glued at the hip and we had um, an excellent time. Um, he was actually a presenter at the conference that I attended. And I was like, I got to have this man on my podcast. He got some stuff mm. to say. He got some stuff to say. So I'm gonna let him give his bio real quick. Just give, just give a little bio who you are, what you out here doing in life, and then we'll get into it. Quick bio. Um, so my name is Jude David. I wear many hats. So professionally, I am the statewide program manager for the Massachusetts Probation Training Division. Um, that's just a really fancy word of just saying I train people to do all sorts of stuff. Um, 
I am also I have a whole lot of part time. So I'm also in nightlife and entertainment. I'm a DJ. I'm a club promoter. Um, I sit on a couple of boards, like the West Indian Carnival Committee Board here for Boston. Um, I am a real estate investor. I am just trying to live my best life, you know? Out here in these Hoo streets? Hoochie Daddy shirts and everything. Hoochie Daddy season? What? Hoochie Daddy season, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to live my best life. That's it. I also, I'm a national speaker. I'm a national uh, trainer and a national motivational speaker as well. So I do a little bit of traveling here and there. Mm -hmm. he, he be all over the world, yo. That's that's I'm cold. I'm bit. all over the world. I'm all okay, over I'm the world. My, 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 my mileage is going up, you know. Yeah, my yeah, flight yeah. mileage is going up. Uh -huh. yeah. He's also a father. I am. If anybody's looking for little toddlers, let me know. I will hand them off, gift them, tax free. Don't don't let him fool you, y'all. Don't let new, don't let him fool you. slightly used, slightly used, but almost new. I promise. I'll just gift you the kids. That's he is so in love. He don't know what to do with himself. Okay, real talk. Okay, so we are going to get started. Like, where am I going to start? Right. So mm -hmm. I know a little bit of your backstory, and it's yeah. funny how, um, in life you don't know that even, even some of the bad decisions you made or some of the like, how was I living like that? Some of those things even propel mm. you and prepare you for where you are like today. So mm. take us back, take us back to like growing up in your neighborhood. Um, take us back to times when maybe you weren't even making like maybe the best decisions and then how, what that looks like now, like how you are using even some of the stuff that you did back then to inform how you show up now. Oh shit, I still ain't making no good decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I never left. Um, uh, so I've had a really, what I call standard African-American immigrant single family household background. I grew up in inner city Boston. Mattapan at the time was called Murderpan. It was like Mattapan, Dorchester area. And um, my dad left when I was in like fifth grade. So like, honestly, my father figures was Jay-Z and Uncle Phil, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it was a whole lot of, it's just a whole lot of gang gang. You know what I'm saying? And you and a you're in the community, a lot of immigrants. So my family's from Haiti. So a lot of Haitian immigrants, they stop in one of three places. It's, it's majority, uh, my aunt, well, Florida, New York, well, Connecticut, or Massachusetts, Boston. So my family just ended up in Boston and a lot of other West Indian communities as well. There's a whole lot of Jamaicans, uh, Bayesians, Antiguans, Haitians, there's just a lot. So obviously with that and, you know, the lack of, honest, all our parents came over in their 30s. So mm. they pretty much still belong to that island. Right. They're just bringing that island to America. So there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of uh, struggle, mm -hmm. like going home and living in Haiti, but literally stepping out of your house and being in America. Yeah. So that came, that came with struggle. Um, and the only way that I found myself to be kind of remotely accepted was gang life. I mean, so, you know, there was a lot of, I was really good into sports. So the one good thing is back in the 90s, it was kind of like, it's before, you know, now we got a whole bunch of little kids running games 
and, and shit like that. But in the 90s, it was more so like, you know, there were guys that used to be like, yo, nope, go on the court. I'm like, don't you supposed to be home? Go home, young blood. Like, there was a lot of the older men's there that would kind of not allow me to get too engaged into the streets. Mm -hmm. My mom was um, always kind of sick. She had a kidney failure. So she had renal failure. And she was on dialysis for nine years. Um, and then through dialysis, she ended up getting a kidney transplant when I was in high school. So she was kind of always sick. So the streets kind of raised me. Um, yeah. So that came with, with a lot of bad decisions, man. DYS, which is Department of Youth Services, it came with, you know, like to me, it's kind of like I'm not working at Stop and Shop when I can just go on Oakcrest Road, pick up a backpack and drop it off on Blake Street and make $300. Don't look inside the backpack, just drop right, it off. Right, right, right. I'm going to make $300. So. You know, the streets ended up, I, I got big into the streets up until I saw my, my man get killed. I was probably um, 12 or 13. We was on the court. And um, you know how it is on, on the blacktop. When you're playing in the hood, you're playing in the hood. So my man, you know, I, I remember it was like it was yesterday. I was like, you called a foul. The dude argued against it. He was like, yo, that's a bitch call. Oh, dude looked at him and said, what? So yeah, that's a bitch call. You went to the sidewalk. Bow, bow. Game over. It's kind of like what you see in the movies is not really what it looks like. You know what I'm right. saying? Like it was like I legitimately remember that. Like I'm I'm sitting here. That's the first time I got shot as well. Um, first time. That's the only time I got shot. Only time I got shot. But um, what ended up happening was like I'm with the guy. And the bullet. Soon as the bullet enters, it's like a white a a, a red cloud. Kind of like how LeBron does this mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. every game. That's what you see, just a red cloud. And then it's like, just oozing. Like the visual still sticks with, um, and honestly, it's like his legs kept running, but his body just kept tipping forward. That was it. I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. This ain't Call of Duty. There ain't no coming back from me. Right, right. And, and um, you know, I ended up getting shot as well one time. A, a ricochet bullet hit me. That was a crazy story, by the way. Um, you know, shout out to my sister. Shout out to my sister's boyfriend at the time. Because, uh, you know, you're talking about first-generation immigrant families. They don't know much about the law. They don't know much about medicine. They don't know much about much. Healthcare so system. all they know is, all they know is don't get in trouble. Nope, don't so, get caught up. Don't get caught up. So, uh, you know, when I got, it was a ricochet bullet that bounced off of a brick that, that caught me. And I remember running home and my, my boy was like, yo, yo, you good? I was like, <laughs> like I was good up until I saw it. Once I saw it, it was over. So like you know, my 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 sister's man at the time worked at a, a hospital, and like we just they drove me to the hospital. I'm like bleeding out on this couch. They have black trash bags on the thing. I'm like 13, 14, and um, like legit, he used <laughs> he took a bottle. Shout out my man. I can't. I don't want to say your name because you're still working. At you know who you are, sir. Yeah, yeah you know who you are, sir. He um he we ended up buying like a bottle of like tequila. He told me to drink. I'm like 13, 14. He's like, drink it until I tell you to stop. So I'm drinking it, I'm spitting it out because it's nasty. He's like, drink it, keep drinking until I tell you to stop. So I, I drank like half the bottle. He poured the other half on the wound, took a lighter and some regular scissors. And obviously, like if 
People don't know what happens when you get shot. It doesn't really hurt. It burns. Right? It's hot. And um, your skin starts to, um, what's the like, cauterize mm -hmm. because of the heat from the bullet pressure. So he burnt the, the scissors and cut around to get the skin off and then use like sewing thread and needles. So not like stitching me, like cotton thread. Yeah. So much. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, I was I was heavy in the streets for a little bit, but after the shootings, I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. And I was just kind of fortunate enough that I was always good in basketball where I just had mentors that eventually got wind of a really big prep school. Um, I'm talking about it was like nationally ranked at the time. When I did the high school, I got a high school in 2002. So it was nationally ranked at the time at the basketball powerhouse. You know, they had like two McDonald's All-Americans. Three of the players went to ABCD camp, which was a huge camp at the time. Um, and yeah, I got recruited for basketball and I never looked back into the streets. Um, but it was, I always kind of played that, always played that role of being in the streets, but not, you know what I'm saying? Because I lived in the hood. So like, I would have to get to work. I would have to get to school. So I would have to go pie the hoods. Right, and People right. knew who I was and they knew kind of, I was a ball player, let them rock. So it's kind of like the different hoods kind of always rocked with me. Never really worried about like gang affiliations because it was kind of like he was good. Up until college, and in college, it was kind of like, you know, everybody was getting killed, or everybody was, you know, moving out, or everybody's going to jail. And I was just like, yo, like, what's going on with our community? Right. <laughs> like, what is going on with our community? And why is it that we we are acting like the way people want us to act? Like, yo, we're not supposed to be living like this. And then, you know, I made that conscious effort to try to be, I joined criminal justice with a great intent which was to be like to bridge the gap between our communities and law enforcement and it was like i didn't realize like that's a tall task yeah it is that's a that's a tall yeah, task and yeah. and it's like it's hard for people that are so used to being in the mud or or like an expression that i use a lot is like like it's so hard like People won't smell the shit until they sit in them. Mm -hmm. And that's an expression that I've used a lot because it's a lot of the deal with our communities. It's like, we don't realize how bad that we allow ourselves to get through, of course, systemic racism, oppression, you know, lack of resources, lack of job opportunities. Yeah. Black women get paid 68 cents on the dollar compared to a white man. Like this, I understand there's different facets of it, which cause us to kind of, bring ourselves back into this shadow world of like, you know, hatred or anger or ratchetness or gangsterness or whatever it is. But like after a while, it, it was just like, I was like, all right, no, I got an influence, man. I, if, if I had a purpose is to kind of spread influence and figure out a way to open up people's third eyes to realize that, yo, we are great and we need to really stop living. Don't mean you got to change who you are. You know, Absolutely. you can still be who you are, but you, we got to do better for ourselves. And, and that's when I started doing the motivational speaking and the public speaking. And, you know, when I started really focusing on my relationship with spirituality, things started to take off. And, and then I met you and we had a great time. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. You know what? And let's let's get into let's get into millennials versus everybody, because this podcast yeah. is designed to, you know, to give voice to, to younger generations. So me and my co-host okay. all have, and I know I don't look it, but I am not 
a millennium. Okay, okay. Mm. I am she firmly definitely past one. <laughs> I'm firmly a Gen Xer, so I, I definitely understand the conversations around um, how how younger generations are viewed and how we have so mm. many negative connotations to them and how we even show up as people, as generations of people, we show up and we're afraid Absolutely. of the children that we raise. I'm like, these are your kids. So why are yep. you acting like this on the train? That yo, that's Absolutely. your kid. Y'all, y'all right, raised they, that kid that you're afraid to talk absolutely. to. Absolutely. So, so, so I will say, so uh, Jude did a, um, uh, um, a breakout session at the conference that I went to called Millennials versus Everybody. And he really challenged the popular opinions that older generations, mine, baby boomers, silent generation, that we have and these 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 negative connotations we put on these younger generations. Of course, um, millennials, these, what are they, Gen Zs, all these little children. Yeah, these, these yeah. 35 and under kids, these 35 and under kids, we, we talk about them. Let, let's, little let's teeny boppers. You know, we, we talk about them. And so he really challenged um, uh, our our own personal biases. Um, and the funny thing is he really did bring to light the fact that we are the ones who raised the children that we're complaining about. So how is it we're complaining about the children we raised? Because we raised them with the value system that they have. So the way they show up in the world is a lot to do with what we gave them and what we provided for them. Right. And, and he challenged us to look at some of their value systems differently. Like, um, right. and I definitely know, like, I'm definitely, I was definitely a person who like, you know, you got to scrape and struggle and strive and, and put the work in. And, and these children are out here and they can become a millionaire overnight. And it's not a bad overnight. thing. Overnight. It's, it's not a bad thing. Um, but we, what we need to do, what I think what our generation has has lacked that other generations even before mine were better at is they mentored better right i feel like you Absolutely. know just like you said when you were coming up you had the you know the ogs were like nah young blood don't you need to go home don't you need, you know what yeah. i mean we're Absolutely. not doing that anymore we're not doing that in the streets we're not doing that in professionally we're not doing that in our homes we just kind of say we raise you and then we're like all right go out into the world and and there is still so much um, what is the word? So much uh, value in, in maintaining relationships and not necessarily like mentoring, but just being there as a sounding board to, to, pro to provide advice and guidance. And, you know, I tried Absolutely. this, it didn't quite work, but you can see it. You can try it. You might, you know, you might come up with a different outcome. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Absolutely. So, why don't you very quickly speak to the whole millennial versus everything? Cool. So, that actually, believe it or not, that that manifested into something huge, and that was just like God. That was like divine intervention. So, I ended up, you know, do, I was doing little speaking engagements here, like a, a pop Warner football team here, a high school basketball team here, like a little doing small stuff until I got the opportunity to present at um, APPA. With, if people don't know what APPA stands for, it stands for the American Probation and Parole Association. It's a national association that encompasses all probation and parole. There's over hundreds of thousands of members. We talk about chiefs, uh, judges, state representatives. Like this is a really, really huge organization. So I, have, I was just gifted the opportunity to present there. And one of the things that I always try to do is um, I try to always incorporate my personality into everything that I do. And um, 
especially when it comes to this field, because um, there's a really big age gap in the workforce. You know what I'm saying? You got baby boomers that are usually at the elite top, the executives, the chiefs, the regional managers, the senior managers. You may have a couple of, you know, 40, you know, late 30s, early 40s, maybe late 40-year-olds, the, the Gen Xers might be tickling that, you know, social class, but the majority of everything else goes to like, you know, late Gen Xers and millennials. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a great area in the age gap. Um, and one of the things that I always said to myself was, first of all, I need to start thinking like white folks, because just to be honest, like there's, again, when it comes to employment, um, there are so many different disparities when it comes to race, um, when it comes to, you know, black black men and black and white men there's a disparity in the in the in the wages there's a disparity in you know executive senior level positions like if you start looking at fortune 500 companies i believe out of all of the fortune 500 companies there's only like two black ceos out of all the fortune 500 companies so it's kind of like i started thinking about ways to connect and one of the things that kind of was a big stick out to me was when you start going into these work conferences, when you start going to speak, especially in in realms of like criminal justice, like it can get kind of mundane, like it can get kind of boring. Right. Like it, it's really, like it's informational. Yeah. And um, there's a purpose to it, it's informational. You're supposed to learn something. But like millennials and some of us and a majority of us, like we retain more information when we're engaged. So like one of the things that I've always tried to do was always try to be myself and be engaging. And when I came up with um, the topic, it was more so because it started off as an argument. I was at a cookout with like my uncles and you know, everybody's uncle and auntie, by the way. So I was at a, a cookout with Unc and they were, um, they played um, Tastes Like Candy, Candy. Like they played that. And they, the OGs was up and the aunties were shaking with their bad hips and everything. And they were just moving. No, that, don't, aunt, don't do that to their hips. Don't do that to their hips. They, 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 they were good. shaking with their bad hips. And then um, and then I was like, no, I got a record. I played the wobble. And then the kids started going doing the wobble. And then he came on and he played that, that Frankie Beverly. Before I let you go, he played that Frankie Beverly. I said, all right, cool. So then I turned around and played um, Velvet the Boat, Poison. And then we kept going back and forth. But, you know, it was just like me versus Unk just having fun. But I was realizing, like, legitimately, it was unifying the OGs and the new kid and, and the millennials. And I'm like, yo, this is dope. And then it kind of like, that idea came, like, I want to do something to help bridge that gap. And then it, it kind of connected because I'm like, in a professional capacity, too, because my goal is to eventually, you know, be a commissioner or leader of public department where I can institute change based off of my vantage point in growing up, which is completely different than 99.99% of the other commissioners that have been all white men from suburbia or white or people of privilege compared to me who grew up from the mud. So like my goal would always be to become somebody where I can, you know, have the authority to set that change. And I think that, you know, once that, that cookout happened, I was like, all right, I want to do this professional wise. 
So I started just coming up with different, uh, brainstorming ideas and having conversations with people, seeing how things kind of fit. And then, you know, the biggest thing that I took back from it was, uh, how do I connect the older generation to be like, we're not what y'all think we are just because we do things differently. Like it's completely, there are, there are five different ways to get to work. Don't mean that just because you take the highway, there's not different routes to get to work. Right. I could get to where I need to be doing things my way. Like Jay-Z has a quote that said, ain't nothing wrong with the target. You just got to change your aim. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it this way. And then I kind of did it in a sense where I wanted to not only make it fun and interactive, but I always wanted to bring it back to like, listen, your generation has flaws as well. Like all of our parents were taught from the baby boomers generation. That's like the, 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 the 40s, the 50s, like taught from them. And at that time era, they were in a time in America or wherever they were where, you know, we just finished wrapping up the war. Women, I mean, when you look at, I think women were only allowed to vote not until like the 1920s women were allowed to vote. Black women, I think, were allowed to vote in like the 1920s, I believe. Like there were just certain, like you couldn't dress a certain way back in that day. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't talk a certain way. Sex wasn't as open as it is now. So all of that that they're used to got brought onto our parents. Then our parents dealt with that and then the crack epidemic, then the super predators by Ronald Reagan. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the black, the civil rights movement, the Black Panthers and the deliberate removal of African-American men out of the communities and the neighborhoods. So then they had to deal with that struggle with the same struggle of being conservative to now that, you know what I'm saying? So then now that that's what we're learning and to believe it, that's all toxic behavior. That's all toxic behavior. Like in order for us to be free, it's considered inappropriate to our grandparents because it wasn't like that in right. their time era. Right, and right. in order for us to express ourselves freely, it's considered inappropriate to our parents because it wasn't like that in that time era. Like the Black Lives Matter movement is very intimidating to our parents' generations because they dealt with the civil rights movement. So for them, when they would say something like defund the police or you know racism, this, racism, that, they were getting fire hose, dogs right. ripping them apart. They were getting sent to jail. So that trauma with them, it's not the same trauma for us. Like for us, we are not our ancestors. And I say that, right? And I say that, and I, I say it both ways because when I say we're not our ancestors, meaning like we're not going to just sit here and allow this to happen and be afraid to voice our opinions. That's what I mean by we're not our ancestors because back in that day, you said something police would straight up you know yeah you might you, disappear however, really. you might disappear yeah. when i say we're not that's that's what i mean by we're not our ancestors however i got checked recently by about uh, uh og when when i when i made that comment he pulled me to the side he said yeah, but aren't you haitian he's like i was like yeah he said so you you are your ancestor i was like why do you say that he said uh, isn't your ancestors the first black republic in the world like didn't you guys set the blueprint didn't you guys, y'all whip the French, y'all whip the Spaniards, y'all whip Brit, y'all. So you have a rebellious spirit in your blood, right? I was like, I'm about to change my, I am my ancestors. <laughs> you know, like, 
so so shout out to OG original Dreams, rebels. Yeah, the original rebels. You know what I'm saying? So um, so I, I kind of incorporate that into a presentation, and then honestly, I I freestyled a lot of it mm-hmm. right then and there in front of hundreds of people, and I caught a standing ovation, and I was like floored yeah. on how receptive people were towards how I broke down different perspective of millennials like we're not lazy just because we rather work from home than drive to work doesn't make us lazy it actually to me with these gas prices makes us very smart (laughs) these gas prices are killing me um just because like it sounds like all of the things even though you may not even have seen it in the moment right but all of those things were were a part of the story that allowed you to walk through the doors that you walk through, right? Like everything, how it all like lines up. It's just like, when you're walking in purpose, it's like, oh, this is working. Oh, this is really working. Oh, this is really moving. Oh, I'm really moving. And it's all of these things along the way, even though they might not have been the best experiences or, or they might not have been the best decisions, but they are all a part of the story that got you to where you are today. And now I have a question. When you were talking, it sparked a thought and an idea. Do you think that like millennials and Gen Cs as a generation are less racist than older generations? Do you feel like because, first of all, you know, when you just think about like hip hop culture and how not only just in America, but like hip hop culture, you see it in every other continent on the planet you know what i mean Absolutely. so Absolutely. even though they may not love us specifically who created hip-hop it is something that has influenced everything and i feel like i don't have i haven't looked up any stats and i don't know if you have either but i'm wondering if the way you all grew up as a generation that is your generation less racist because there was more mixing there was more introduction to like hip-hop and and things that are historically you know black or african-american do you feel like they're less racist i think that depends on the topic of conversation Ah, okay i think i think when it comes to things like music i think absolutely i mean i was at a kanye concert and there was more white people screaming nigga than black people Mm -hmm. Mm because it's in the music right and black people just you know, black people, it's just like, it's music. So it's like literally standing next to the white folks in the concert. So, you know, da 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 nigga, nigga, and they just look at, oh yeah, oh, you know the words. Oh, he's cool. That's Tommy Egan. You know what I mean? Like, that's my, that's my guy. You know what I mean? And, but I think when it comes to certain things that, you know, the Breonna Taylors, the George Floyds, the Omar, you know what I'm saying? That depending on that topic, then it's like, I hate white people. <laughs> like, I think it really depends on the topic of conversation. I think that this newer generation, I'll give you the perfect example. Going to jail during the civil rights movement was terrible. It was terrible. Like, people were scared. Police was beating on you. You might disappear. Your family might get it next. But then dur- during the civil rights movement, when it finally caught fire, they flipped it and made going to jail a rite of passage that you were fighting for your beliefs. So then Dr. King's getting arrested, you know, uh, 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 Rosa Parks getting arrested, the busing situations, like people are just getting arrested, overflowing the jails because like you guys are not gonna stop us from believing what we believe, 
right? So that's that logic, right? So then now they flip the fear and the negative, the negativity that came from going to jail and they turned it into something positive. This new generation is kind of doing the same thing when it comes to racism, like nigga. Like nigga is such an acceptable term now. It's kind of like saying, you know, what's up my brother? What's up my nigga? Like it's to the point now where this generation uses it so interchangeably that it's yeah. almost to the, like you're going to hear it in a conversation full of black people. You will absolutely hear it. Um, and, I, and I feel like what they're doing is they're using all of the hate that they gave and they're spinning it to be like, okay, cool. It doesn't phase me, no way. Oh, you want me to be a nigga? Cool. Hey, what's up, nigga? <laughs> like, I feel like that's what they're doing, which in a sense I think is... Again, it happened in the, the 60s. It happened during civil rights. Um, it's happening now. It's going to happen again with whatever the case is. It's, it's kind of um, a part of, it's a part of growth and acceptance. So do I think they're more racist? I think it really just depends. I think that what this generate, I think this newer generation just finds ease, finds very cool ways to make an uncomfortable situation comfortable. That's yeah. what I think. I think we found a very cool way to make an uncomfortable situation comfortable. Perfect example would be Hoochie Daddy shorts. Let's just use those, right? Because they are called bad shorts. Like older guys, especially older white men, they wear shorts usually above the kneecaps anyway. My uncles, my aunt, you know what I'm saying? People wear shorts. For our culture, though, especially like when, you know, when Michael Jordan came out in the 90s, he was one of the first to have basketball shorts under the knees. Like he kind of started that trend. Then Allen Iverson came around. His joints was like at his ankles. You know what I'm saying? Remember two, in the early 2000s, that's my favorite time era, like 2001, 2002, 2003, dudes had white 5X, 4XL t-shirts, just everything just so long and big. And that was kind of like the fashion state. And then now, the culture and millennials took that and they spun it. So now everything is tailor fit. Everything is slim fit. Everything is like above the knees to an extent. And it's kind of like, all right. So they took something that was often, you know, what it was for that time period. And we just made it our own. And in our culture, that appearance of being too tight, too short, too tailored, you, you know, you either came across metrosexual, homosexual, you came across, um, you know, not from around here, whatever the case was for the culture, because, you know, in pop culture could be toxic. Um, whatever the culture was, it came across, and then we spun it, and now uh, it's hoochie daddy season. <laughs> we out. So, do I think the, the millennials are racist? I think that... Less racist, less. Less racist. I think that they're more open and acceptable, depending on... Uh, the topic of conversation yeah. but i think that if you get them uncomfortable enough i think you will see and hear what they're really thinking behind closed doors well i think millennials is a generation that doesn't really enjoy so i think we're a turn-up generation we, i think this is a generation of fun freedom uh exploration i i don't think this is a generation like the civil rights movement generation where it was just like give me free or give me death. <laughs> right. I think this generation is more so like, oh, I, I don't need to work for 30 years to make a million dollars. I could just do it by opening up an OnlyFans page. Oh, sign me up. You know, so. 
I hope I answered that question. No, no, you did. You did. And I'm going to give you homework because I know you be researching stuff. So I'm, I want you to know, I want, I want you to look up like how they quantify even statistics on racism and see if younger generations are less racist. We'll chat about that on the next time I have you on the show. Okay. Give me back. I'm in here. Give me back. Okay. Okay. All right. So from there, um, we both, um, for all of you who may or may not know, I also work in the criminal justice field. And so, um, like Jude said, uh, and I didn't, I didn't, my touches with the other side of the criminal justice system weren't as long or as varied, but I touched it. Okay. I'm not going to act like I didn't touch it because I did. And um, it's so funny because I think back to situations where like, you don't even, you know, there, there is, um, of course, and I'm a believer. So like, I have like these scriptural references, like, you know, they have this scripture about danger seen and unseen that you've been protected from danger. You didn't even know were coming. And so I remember, you know, um, hanging out with people who were, you know, like carrying firearms and taking me to places that were not, were not necessarily safe or being in a, in a space where, you know, police were called to a place where I was hanging out. And, um, I tell you, if not for Jesus, I swear to God, like who knows, you know, because you could just be with somebody and get caught up because you with somebody who got something Absolutely. or you just, Absolutely. You, or you just in the car. Right. So I Absolutely. all the times that I could have ended up in a very dis- different situation than I was. And even like, I did like petty stuff. Like, you know, I had, I had a little short rebellious streak where I was just a thief for no reason. I, it's not even like we were broke or like super poor, but I was just stealing stuff just because. I was just a rebel. Oh. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to oh me. I have, I have a pad. Don't do that to me. Okay. Oh my God. So, who, but, are, who are you? I, oh my God. <laughs> but for God, but God, but God. So <laughs> I just think about like all of the bad decisions I made, but it also gives me a lot of compassion when we're dealing with people who are involved in the criminal justice system because one of the reasons why like it even before I I joined the criminal justice system professionally like I always work with the homeless like volunteering and and people you know who have mental health issues and so that's the stuff Mm -hmm. that I do now but what I realized about the population of people who are justice involved is that a lot of them are seen as kind of like throwaway people. Their families have given up on them. You know, the system has given up on them. You know what I mean? They've had a lot of chances, right? Like, and by the time we see them, you know, they have a rap sheet that's several pages long. They have, you know, they may have, um, especially, you might see them a little bit sooner because you you deal maybe dealing with still with probation cases. But for folks who are on my side, you know, um, you know, they might have started off with a juvenile record that has now transitioned into their adulthood. So by the time I've seen them, they have burned a lot of bridges and yeah. people are, are much less willing to take, yo, oh. you know what I mean? Like you've been in this. I don't know why you can't get out, but you've been in this. Mm-hmm. And, and what I think is, is a beautiful thing about having people like us in this space to, one, I, I am definitely with you with trying to get to spaces where we're like, we're affecting policy and we're affecting, we're affecting whole systems, right? And we're affecting whole agencies. Um, but it is also so important to like be able to talk and touch people and say, hey, I know you messed up, but you're okay because you're still here. Like I have to have that conversation almost every day. Um, you know, I get calls from people who are currently incarcerated who may or may not get out. 
you know, I'm talking to guys on the street who trying to get off supervision, like, Miss Cunningham, what can you do? I'm trying to get off. I'm trying to get off. And so it is important that whether, and whether you're just as involved or not, like people need a lot of chances, right? They need what I call basically grace. Like as someone who in my own personal life has made a lot of bad decisions, um, don't do that to me. Don't, don't, don't you do that. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. As someone who has made a lot of bad decisions, um, I am so glad that like people didn't give up on me. And so, right. Cause I, you know, that could have looked a lot different. And so I extend that same grace to the population of people we work with. So I know you've had, you, um, done like direct supervision. Yep. 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 So with me, it was shout out my my first chief Carmen Gomez man. She I would not have been here if it wasn't for her. I'm telling you, she should have she should have got rid of me. <laughs> like within my nine, my probationary period, she should have got rid. Of me. Um, when I so I, I entered my career being a group home manager, um, for state awarded kids, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of like my way into the door out of college it was tough not so much because of the workload but it was more so of the emotional connections you make with these kids now you're talking about 12 10 you know 13 year old boys that are awarded the system because parents you know incarcerated no next of kin runaways you know adoptions foster kids or whatever so then, like, when you start seeing them, you kind of see a little bit of you in that. Um, you know, then I left being a group home, and I ended up going to DYS, uh, the Department of Youth Services, where I was the unit supervisor for the Metro Pre-Trial. And is this the same was, DYS that you might have been connected to when you were a youth? Yeah, but we ain't going to talk about that, though. Okay, okay. No, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's a full yeah. circle moment. Yeah, it's a full, first, full circle, full circle for sure. Um, and then you start talking about things like, like, oh, I remember one time there was like, they filled the unit up. It was like a hot summer. And we had like four different gangs on the unit, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, at one point in time, it'd be like, yo, bottom, bottom tier left side be out for a half hour. Then we gotta put them back in. Then bottom tier right side comes up because it was just too many. It was too right. many, and we're not. And the, and the thing about Boston is that it may not be like the West Coast where you have huge gangs. Boston, I think, is more dangerous because you got legitimately street gangs on every other corner. Like you can literally be on the street, throw a rock over a set of house, and hit a whole nother gang. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like they was just like, this is their way of establishing camaraderie. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's what they do. So I remember at DY, you know what I'm saying? Things popped off. Riot happened on the unit. It was like a 20-man fight. Oh, a 20-man fight. Yeah, it got crazy. Um, these fights usually last anywhere from three to five minutes. But when you're in it, it feels like forever. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these kids ain't going to be scrapping for no more. They get tired. You know what I'm saying? They just get tired. 
And you get tired separating it. You know what I mean? You got to rely on like your man, your, your man strength to kind of separate them after a while. So like, it was like, yo, we hit the all call, team comes down, we're breaking bodies apart, woo, 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 woo. And then like, I'm sitting here screaming on the unit and I have a loud voice. Like I can project my voice. Mm -hmm. So we're out here screaming on the unit. And I'm like, everybody locked in. So then now they're like kicking their doors and they're sitting here like, you know, they, they're being kids and they're in lockup and they're kicking their doors. Mm -hmm. And then I said, oh, all right. Oh, right. y'all want to play these games? Cool. I turned the TV off. I think it was like, they're watching Love and Hip Hop or something. You know, they're watching some bunch of teenage boys. They want to see girls. I switched it over to the Lion King. It was on like TNT or something like that. Then the original Lion King, 1994 Lion there King. There you go. There you go. You know what I mean, not, not the new one, the original. And um, call of the unit is pissed. Like, yo, take this shit off. Like, take it off. It's pissed. And then I promise you, within like probably like 20 minutes, they were oh, like, yo, shut up. I can't hear the TV. <laughs> right? And then you'd be like, yo, Simba's a ghoul, or oh, they murk Mufasa, bro. Where the, what happened to the pig, bro? Oh, the pig, that's my that's my guy. And I was just like, it'd be full because I'm like, I literally, literally, we just ran through 20 men right, and now these kids are enjoying the Lion King. Like that, I always tell that story because it again, it's like, yo, these are kids, like, yeah, they're big. Oh wait, your um your sound cut out. Mm -mm, I can't hear you. Nope, nothing. Did your did your did your earpieces die? Dun, 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 dun. Let's see, say something. Nope, no sound. You gonna have to put me on. You know what? There we go. I'm gonna put you on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So then, so then, similar to like what you were talking about when you were saying, um, when you were saying like compassion fatigue and the fact that people was like, listen, you've been around this block way too many times. I can't help you if you don't want to help yourself. Right. Right. That, that was that moment when I was just like, yo, these kids can't help themselves. Like they just. They're kids. Like it's yep. not they're, they're not yep. them. It's not their job to help themselves. It's our job. Right. Um, I ended up, and then I went to DYS. I mean, from DYS, I went over to the sheriff's department, um, adult facilities. That was a little bit different. It was more so like now. Now we're dealing with grown men and women. Like y'all should be able to help yourselves if you want to help. But then it starts realizing like they really can't help themselves because there's no resources in the hoods. And then the resources that they do have in the hood is already, you know what I'm saying, that it's referral-based, mm -hmm. which means that they're probably already filled by, you know, clinical referrals, jail referrals, prison referrals, you know, school referrals. So it's kind of like, then those get crowded and overpopulated. So then maybe they really can't help. And now we all know the prisons and the jail systems is the new mental health facilities. Absolutely. So, so it's kind of like, then you kind of go like, why does this person keep coming back? Well, because he doesn't, he really has some issues, my man, like, yeah. like really has issues. So then um, I think that my biggest takeaway always was like coming from where I came from and being the person that I used to be, um, 
it's kind of like I see it every day and it was kind of like, man, I know, I know the whys. And I think that I always keep that in the back. Don't get me wrong, man. Sometimes you just be like, again? Like you again? Like my man, do me a favor. Kick over a mailbox, right? Because that's federal. And I don't need to see you a county no more because you just born a federal. So just kick over a mailbox and just sit there and wait for the police. Because I'm tired of seeing you here every other month. Just kick over a mailbox. <laughs> like just, and the federal accommodations are way better than county. So just go. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. I have my moments. I have my moments like that. Oh, well, think, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After a while, it's more like, I. I know I understand the why. So I think for me, it's always been the why um, that has allowed me to not um, not go too far into I can't deal with you anymore because you don't want to help yourself. Right. I think I think it's always been the why. And I think once you start looking at the why people behave the way they do, um, when you start breaking the psychology behind it and you start breaking down like the foundational. And I think that's one thing that people fail to realize foundationally people have traumas and issues and implicit bias makes a very, very heavy burden for people to try to get over. Like in your mind, if you believe that police officers have always been bad, that when you grow up, you're going to have a, a hatred for law enforcement, which then turns into a hate for authority, which yeah. then can become a hatred for your supervisors and your bosses because they're an authority figure. They're, they're your spirit, which then affects your employment, which then makes you unemployable. Right, 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 right. So and like it's there's there's literally if you can understand the why you're human, you're gonna have your your days when you're like, I'm not dealing with these people. But if you can understand your why, then I think those days of I'm not dealing with people start to limit yourself. And you just gotta learn how to take mental health breaks. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, that I carry with me that has been, you know, cause I've been in the work 20 years now and, um, everybody's bottom looks different. Like yep. you look at some people and be like, this ain't telling you that you need to, and nope, not for them, oh. not for them. Their bottom oh. might be two, three years from now, or, you know, and, and the wonderful thing is, for me and uh, thank you Jesus that um he always gives me like all I need is like a little I need one nugget I need only one person and I'd be like okay I can point to this one person and I'm good like you know the other 200 people I couldn't help but this guy right here this good. guy yeah. it takes me every day I get a text every Thursday from this guy so I mean I have and it's not just one I have several people who are my, like, I hang my hat on these success stories who, and, and for them, you know, some of them, it was a long time. There was one gentleman, um, I, before he changed course and, and, and um, ended his, his, uh, what I call relationship with the criminal justice system, it was, that's about 12, 13 years of like back and forth with him. And I'm just like, <laughs> Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Doe, um, we 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 here, but now he's out living his life. He's like, oh yeah, me and the wife are going out of town for the weekend. So you know, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. What what I generally do is, um, when people are no longer under the criminal justice system, I make them take me to lunch. I'm like, I put in some work for you, get you a job, take me to lunch. 
I'm expensive. <laughs> you you thought that was free? It's not. It's no. not. When when you're done, we can't do it while we on while you on supervision because that's that's a conflict of interest. But when you finish and you successful and I help, you taking me out to eat. I say that all the time. I'm like, yo, my man. Next week, I want a bottle. Right? <laughs> I want a bottle. I drink brown liquor. I want a bottle because your ass stressed me out for two and a half years, bro. Like <laughs> I say that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we are coming up on an hour. You see how quickly that went? That was quick. So so I want you to leave us with a parting. Let me see. If, If you could speak to the younger you who is who is still out there, right? There are younger yous in your communities and communities across the nation, across the planet. Cause it, it, you looks like you in Russia, looks like you in Africa, looks like you in Asia, right? Because, um, you know, sometimes not being able to see another way is, you know, that's universal. That's yep. universal. So if you could talk to you, what would you say? Don't start too late to build a relationship with God. Mm. Mm. That's, don't, don't wait until you halfway neck deep in the mud. Don't wait until all the traumas and past, you know, personal relationships, and girlfriends, and sisters, and cousins, and workplace trauma, and you know, all of the the racial things that you'll see on World Star on the news. Don't don't wait for all of that bind you for you to hit rock bottom before you build a relationship with God. And, and whoever God is for you, it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, let me, you know what? So let me even rephrase that. Not God, but a higher power. Let me say mm-hmm. that. I know some yeah. people, you know, but don't wait until you in your 30s to develop a relationship with a higher power because what happens is when you start to develop that relationship, um, things start to fizzle out and in place mm-hmm. for you yeah and it and it'll make sense trust me it sounds like it won't make sense but it, it will eventually start making sense and you'll figure it out Absolutely. Um, be you everybody else will adjust but be you with god amen and that's and that's the final word on today yeah. um i will um include um jude david's contact information so if anybody you want to you want to book them for one of your inspirational y'all out here doing Ooh, stuff, throw that plug out there. your people i'm gonna put all that when i when i post this for next week um i probably will post like a snippet beforehand and i'll put your your socials and, and the ways to contact you so slide in his dms be respectful be respectful. But go ahead, go, ahead, go, ahead. Real go ahead and slide. But go ahead and slide. So I appreciate you, Jude. You I love you already. You already like you're already in my heart. So that's it. You hold on. We're going to Houston. Remember, let's do it. Listen, you already know it's on. We listen, that's a side thing. Don't don't y'all worry about what we're gonna be doing. Hey, don't, 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 don't worry about that. That don't worry about that. Call Ron, call everybody up, call Kami. <laughs> so i love y'all so again this was another bold and beautiful podcast from when christian speak talk radio and have a good day everybody bye 
Thanks for tuning in to our broadcast. We look forward to introducing young talent and sharing exciting stories with our listeners around the world. So if you have a gift, talent, story, or information to share with us, spoken word, poetry, book, or song to share, if you're an entrepreneur or musician, please contact us at bnbwcstr2016 at gmail.com or on any of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.